kick off episode 369 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear with a song from the band Los Lombardi. It's from their album Kraken. They're a surf band based out of Galicia, Spain, and they gave us permission to play this song, which is also called Kraken, on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. Lucha de Mayo month continues here on Monster Kid Radio, and I actually think I got it right this time. What does that mean? What is Lucha de Mayo? Lucha de Mayo is an opportunity for us to look at luchador monster movies, and there are quite a few of them. We started last week with Frank Schildener and Champions of Justice. This week, we've got a new voice on the show, a gentleman by the name of Mark Peterson. Mark is a longtime listener of the show. He is the man behind Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shop, which you can find at drtongtoys.com, and that's doctor abbreviated, so D-R-T-O-N-G-U-E-T-O-Y-S.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. He's also got an Etsy store and a Facebook page. Go check it out and let him know that you heard him here on Monster Kid Radio talking about the movie, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it in Spanish, Santo and the Treasure of Dracula. It's a film from 1969, and it's a little notorious. And we're going to touch on that a little bit towards the end of our conversation about why it's a little notorious. Mostly, though, the movie is just a fun science fiction monster romp with our favorite silver masked wrestler, El Santo, saving the day as he always does in these movies. I love these films so much, and I hope you guys and gals love the conversation that we're going to have with Mark. Now, the conversation with Mark was actually quite long. We're going to break it up into two episodes because next time around, he's going to come back and we're going to talk about another monster movie involving El Santo and this time Blue Demon. Now, that's for later, though. I'm getting ahead of myself. First, we're going to talk about Santo and the Treasure of Dracula. Plus, we have another installment of Vault of Monster Collectibles submitted by Michael Dodd, read by my wife, Brenda. That's all happening right after this. <laughs> It has been written since the beginning of time that evil supernatural creatures exist in a world of darkness. And it is also said, man can call forth these powers of darkness, the demons of hell. It is the night of the demon. And tonight is the night that Dana Andrews, as a daring scientist, defies the mysterious murderous devil cult in a desperate battle against the demons of hell. Oh, why did you drop the poker? Red hot. It isn't, you know. Oh, my boy, you're as pale as death. There was something in here. He has been chosen. I've been chosen for what? What do you mean? Today I found all the pages of my desk calendar torn out after October the 22nd. I know why. He died on the 22nd. John, what's the matter? The same thing happened to my desk calendar after the 28th. The frightened girl. The master of witchcraft. You will die as I said. At 10 o'clock on the 28th of this month. Your time allowed is just three days from now. Skeptical? Don't make up your mind till you see this masterpiece of macabre magic. Because, after all, 
evil supernatural creatures really do exist. gentlemen this is jason jack and eddie you may recognize my voice from the vault of starling monster horror tales of terror and if you don't you should be listening but today i need to ask you a few questions do you like big bugs and you cannot lie other robots just can't deny that when the queen of space walks in and puts a blast in your face that your gears get sprung are you deep in the bee we're sharing are you hooked and you can't stop staring if you answered yes to any of these questions, then have I got a podcast for you. Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From classics to cults and all the yummy, yummy cheese in between. Look for my new show, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, on the Two True Freaks Network and on iTunes. That's Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. Double J on the Triple B is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. X-ray, ultra, violet, and alpha, beta, and omega rays. This man is a killer. Mad with dreams of fantastic power. We're conducting experiments requiring fissionable materials. That's atom bomb stuff. The government has that locked up tighter than Fort Knox. You work for us faithfully or you'll be turned over to the authorities. I understand there's a reward of $5,000 on your head. No money is safe. No man is safe. Nothing stops the amazing transparent man. Into army-guarded secret government vaults he goes, stealing confidential nuclear material, holding in his unseen hands the key to world power. But the amazing transparent man wants first vengeance. If I choke you hard enough, you'll bring me back. Ray Naaman Jones. I play Debbie in Monos, the Hands of Fate, and you're listening to Monster Kid Radio. I am Dracula, and I bid you welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic, and sometimes not so classic, genre cinema of yesteryear. And I offer you this warning. Sometimes Derek and his guests get excited and they may spoil a movie or two. You know how excited Monster Kids can get sometimes. If Monster Kid Radio spoils a movie for you, do not come whining to me. I cannot stand whines. 
Luchada, I mean, I always screw it up. Mayo is, no, it's Mayo. I did it again. (laughs) Luchada Mayo continues here on Monster Kid Radio with a new voice, with a new movie that we haven't talked about yet, and a movie that I have talked about, but it's been years, and I mean, I want to give it more attention. Man, it's going to be a lot of fun. Mark Peterson, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on the show. You've been, uh, well, you're local. Uh, You're here in the Portland, Oregon area, and you are the man behind Dr. Tongue's. I had that shop. Yes, I am. Oh, what, what an awesome store. <laughs> Much to your chagrin. Yes. <laughs> what an awesome little store. What is the store? Well, the best way to describe it is I, I, the tagline is I specialize in things your mother threw away. <laughs> Basically vintage toys going from about the 50s up until about the early 90s. You know, and it's not just toys. I mean, you've got some posters, you've got some books, you've got just some really cool stuff in there, man. I've only been in the store physically once, but I've been lurking in your Etsy shop quite a bit. Yeah, I I, I sent a box off to you last week, I think. Yeah, it's it's here. Yeah. I, did you have you opened it yet? Yeah. Okay, I threw I threw a couple extras in there for you. So. Yeah, yeah, you did. Thank you so much. Hey, you know, gotta gotta keep the monster kid happy. That's right. That's right. Well, I gotta keep Doctor Tong happy, man. You gotta, you know, you know, I gotta keep the, keep you in business. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't feel that way, but that's okay. Well, the store went away for a while, and it, it came back a few years ago, right? Yeah, actually, um, the first store I opened in '93. And that ran until 2005, and it had a little bit different name. It was still Dr. Tongues, but it was uh, the homage to the Second City um, bad horror movie sketch. Uh, <laughs> it was it was called Dr. Tongues 3D House of Collectible Toys. Oh, okay, okay. Anybody's an SCTV fan out there, you know where I got the name from. So oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, it's a little scary one this week, kids. <laughs> 3D. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Ooh, did you see the chicks? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad the store is back. And, uh, man, it just, I need to get back out there. I'm over in the Beaverton side of things. So getting out to your store sometimes can be a challenge. But I love that you've got an online presence. And we've been chatting on Facebook about a lot of things. So oh, yeah, I'm glad yeah. you're around, man. And I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Dr. To- uh, Toys.com. Man, I need to drink some more coffee. DrTongueToys.com. Yeah. For the actual website, there's no S. So it's Dr. Tongue Toys. Mm-hmm. But for Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, it's Dr. Tongue's Toys. Long story there, but I won't go into it. Oh, Some, well. Somebody, 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 I let, I let the website lapse and somebody in Sweden now owns it. I'm not paying them for the name. What, why, why would, what do they do? I don't know if I want to know what they're doing with the website. Uh, they're not doing anything. They're sitting okay. on it. They're sitting on it. And it's my, basically it's my intellectual property, but it's like, uh, I let it lapse. They were sitting on it. They bought it from whatever hosting service I had at the time. Don't even remember. And, uh, they're currently charging $800 for it. And I'm like, uh, I'll just take the S off and pay 35 bucks a year. Wow, that's um, <laughs> yeah, that, it, that, that's a lot of toys you have to sell to. Up. <laughs> yeah, for eight hundred and fifty bucks just to get the name back, uh, something <laughs> I thought up too, right? Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah. You know, I'm looking at your website. I don't know why I haven't bought this yet. That I love that poster, that spook show style poster you've got. I'm gonna make oh, sure yeah. this is on the show notes uh, in the website as well because I I, lo- I love spook show posters. The idea of a spook show. I've never obviously 
can't go to one now because they don't do them. But I know it's sad, sad to say. But those that artwork is amazing, and yeah. this is very cool, man. I like that. Thanks. Yeah, actually, when I started the store back up, I did a, a Indiegogo just to kind of get some capital up so I could start it. And a friend of mine, Lance Thingmaker, and that is his legal name, mm-hmm. uh, at uh, Creepy Cult. He did all of my T-shirts, and he made that poster for me, and that was one of the the incentives to donate to the uh, the Kickstarter. And I still have them. There's it's an edition of fifty. There's still some in the store, and uh, I'm I'm a huge Spook Show fan. I've got a I've got a pretty not I wouldn't say large collection of, of uh, posters and, and paper, but uh, it's a nice little chunk. I bet I've done a lot of research on spook shows. And you just gave us something else to talk about in the future. You know, yeah, when we're I, no I longer in Luchida Mayo, say, Mayo, whatever. Yeah, oh, yeah. I did it again. <laughs> Is it Luchida Mayo? Mayo, thank you. Mayo, mayo for your sandwich. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Or, or actually, well, because it's like actually, I think I've heard it both ways, <laughs> as they say on Psych. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there's Cinco de Mayo. Yes. And then if you're doing Lucha de Mayo, you know, it's apples and oranges, but yeah, whatever. Okay. I'll, I'll make sure my wife hears this little bit of the conversation since she's the one writing me about getting it wrong all the time. Uh- <laughs> well, you know, it gives you guys something to talk about other than other things, but you know, it's, you know. <laughs> Very yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, um, I, like I said, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to all this. And I, we'll talk spook shows at some point because I'm fascinated by the history of it too. And I've got, I think, one poster from a spook show because they can get kind of pricey. So, yeah, but, but, but we'll talk yeah. about that down the line. We'll talk yeah, about that I, down the line. That's, I, I, I've spent uh, a fair amount of cash on, on some posters. Um, and it all started back in the 90s. And I'll, I'll go over that with you later. But it's like it, <laughs> I was gifted my first poster. Oh, um, man. It was crazy. There was a show, early days of cable. They were doing live satellite feeds, and it was a collectibles show. And I had to haul all my stuff up to the Rose Garden. Oh. (laughs) And set up in one of the little pergolas there with all my monster stuff. And it was a live satellite feed. And I was, you know, quote, unquote, the monster expert. And uh, so I was showing off, you know, my Aurora model kit, you know, models and famous monsters of film land and that kind of stuff. And they were like, well, what's the one thing that you really want for your collection? I'm like, I'd really like, you know, a 54 Godzilla one sheet. Ooh. And because that's a great image. It's just, you know, him stepping on the city, carrying the girl, you know, flames coming out of his mouth, just beautiful colors and everything. I'm like, yeah, I'd really like one of those. So they had to where people could call in. And this guy was a sheriff in some small town in Waco, Texas. And he goes, I don't have the, the movie poster you're looking for, but I found a movie poster. We were going through an old, we were going through an old, uh, going through an old movie theater. And uh, I found this, and I I don't have any use for it, so I'm just going to send it to you. I'm like, oh, cool, man. What is it? And he goes, I don't know, some ape thing. I don't, you know, and he, he couldn't describe it very well, but he's like, he sent it to me for free. I get it. I open it up, and it is a spook show poster. And I'm like, uh, okay, this is that. And that got me started on collecting spook show paper. Wow. So your first hit's free. The mm-hmm. rest is going to cost <laughs> Oh yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, it was a gateway drug for sure. All right, well, let's definitely uh, make sure we come back to spook shows at some point, maybe later this year, because I, I love the the idea, the artwork. It's just wonderful. I I may have I've got to find it. I think I've got a ticket for one, like an oh, original ticket for one. I think, yeah, but I have those, to double check. Those are really neat because they got the little images and they you know yep. don't don't make sure you don't miss the show. Come early, you know. 
<laughs> a lot of hype. A lot of hype. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm sure you own Monsters Crash Pajama Party, right? Oh yes, definitely. Good I, Lord, if you don't, then I'm like I'm, I'm going to hang up on you right now. <laughs> Not only do I, I own it multiple times. I have a couple of copies of it, and I've gifted it to multiple people as well because it's cool. just an amazing cool. DVD. What are we talking about? What just happened here? <laughs> I don't. We're like totally. Let's put the brakes on and go back, and we're going to start talking about. Uh, well, you know, honestly, you know. Uh, I spook shows and uh, lucha monster movies kind of go hand in hand. I mean, they're both really weird genres. <laughs> that they are bizarre. I just finished watching uh, Santo and Blue Demon against the monsters this morning in preparation for this, and I had forgotten just how crazy that gets at the end. But we'll, oh, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get we'll get to it. There's something that we do here on the show, Mark, with anybody who comes on, especially new guests. There's a game that we play. Yes, we got to play the classic five. You up for it? I have been nervous about this. This is the only thing I've been nervous about. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Because I would listen, because I, I listened to the show. I mean, I was like, I'm sitting there listening, like, how would I answer that question? I'm like, uh, 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 and I, and like, honestly, I'm just like, my mind will go blank. And I'm like, oh, uh, John Hagar, what the heck was he in? Oh, you know, no. it's like, you, just, you know, it's just Richard Carlson. Uh, uh, you know, it's like, you just, you know, it's like, you just, you lose it. No, no pressure here. No pressure. Okay, There's okay. no wrong or right answers. For listeners who don't know, the Classic Five is a game that we play here with our guests on Monster Kid Radio to let our listeners learn a little bit more about them. Uh, I've got a deck of cards here with uh, questions on them about classic monster movies. This or that, yes or no style questions. There are no wrong answers. Like I said, Mark, are you ready to play the Classic Five? Let's do it. Uh-huh, the shuffle. That's right, man. I got to put that in now. Even if I'm not shuffling it, I'm, I'm going to put that sound effect in just because. All right. Card number one. You're ready. Here we go. Yeah. Which movie do you prefer? Creature from the Black Lagoon or The Monster of Piedras Blancas? Oh, really? <laughs> Seriously? God. Uh, I, I, I'm going to blaspheme here. I'm going to go with Piedras Blancas. Famous Monsters of Hollywood magazine names it. Shock Award winner, The Monster of Piedras Blancas. The Monster of Piedras Blancas, the world's most shocking monster, stalks its unsuspecting prey, feasts its eyes on the next victim to writhe in its slimy arms. The screen's most nightmarish beast. A claw-fingered, scaly-skinned, half-human crustacean, turning a lonely lighthouse village into a frenzied bedlam of blood-curdling horror. Never have you known such cringing terror, such... ...drawn by love to the forbidden cove of the sea monster, then trapped in a torment of unendurable suspense. In the screen monsterama of a thousand incredible... See the movie named the most brain-paralyzing shock story of them all, The Monster of Piedras Blancas. I, I love Creature from the Black Lagoon, but I honestly think, and you're going to hate me for this, huh? overhyped. Really? Yeah, I love the design of the creature. The movie itself is is great visually, everything. I love the swimming sequences and everything else. I, there's just some campiness about Piedras Blancas that just just gets me, you know, him walking around with a head in his hand. Come on. Uh, it's just, I don't know. It's call me a fool. 
No, no. I mean, you, like I said, no wrong answers. This is a safe place. I mean, you're wrong. But I'm going to no. get, get hate mail for this. I know this. <laughs> I, I like Pieta Spunks a lot. Yeah. I haven't talked about that here on the show either. I need to at some point, but it's it's a good one. I just like the way he's an amalgam of a bunch of different monsters. Right. He's kind of like a mishmash. Just whatever well, yeah, they have. I mean, yeah. Like if you look at his hands, they're from the mole people. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> let's save some money. Let's just use the hands off that suit over there. Okay. Hey, it worked. I like it. <laughs> exactly. It exactly. Yeah. Fit ahead just perfectly. There you go. Yeah. All right. Card number two. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the sound of that. Nosferatu or Dracula? Oh, God. God, you're killing me. I am, man. It's all random. I did really shuffle it this time. So come on. Uh, see, I, you know, see, I was half expecting who do you like better, Bella Lugosi or Christopher Lee? Like that, I can answer easy. Well, well that is a card in here. I wonder. If, you know, no, but... I know that. And I've heard it before. <laughs> so I was like, I was hoping that one would come up and then we have something to talk about. But yeah, uh, I got to go back. I am Dracula. A moment ago, I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my own judgment. Look. Dracula. The very mention of the name brings to mind things so evil, so fantastic, so degrading. You wonder if it isn't all a dream, a nightmare. Rats, rats, thousands, millions of them. But no, this is no dream. This is Dracula, the original terrifying story of a maniac and a man who lived after death, lived on human blood, took the form of a vampire bat and lured innocent girls to a fate truly worse than death. Dracula? Oh, what, what's he done to you today? Tell me. He came to me. He opened a thing in his arms. And he made me drink. I gotta go Dracula. As much as I love Nosferatu and the creepiness and the shadows and the early German, you know, everything, I gotta go with Dracula just because uh, Lugosi. It's Bela. Yeah. yeah, it's Bela. It's Bela. Yeah, you know, he's, it's, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I, I've read things where, uh, you know, Browning just kind of phoned it in, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't have the same uh, vibrancy as some of his other work, but. No. But it's all. still a solid film. It's so good. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. Totally. And it's like, and honestly, it's, it's all on the back of Bella. Mm-hmm. It really is. I mean, because it's like, honest, some of the other supporting actors, I'm like, ah, uh, yeah. You know, it's so, yeah, I would go, yeah, I'd go Dracula. Right on. All right, card number three, William Castle or Alfred Hitchcock? <sighs> once again, I got to go William Castle. No, oh, yeah. I, I love, I love, and don't get me wrong, once again, it's like, it's like, what do you prefer? I would rather sit and watch an afternoon of crappy William Castle movies than really well done, well shot, well acted movies. I'm just, I'm a B movie junkie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Castle. Oh, card number four. And how appropriate is this for somebody who owns a toy store? Okay. What character from a classic monster movie would you want as an action figure? Oh, 
good Lord, I have so many already. <laughs> so you probably have a ton, right? I, I do. Matter of fact, on my desk right now, I've got uh, a couple of different figures from Ship of Monsters, which also make an appearance in Monstrous. And I have a Santo action figure sitting right in front of me, too. So, nice. Yeah. Um, and it, I have such weird... I honestly have some weird figures. I have a Zachary action figure. Wow. A 12-inch Zachary action figure. It's like he's like G.I. Joe size, fully articulated with a bunch of accessories and stuff. That is um, awesome. I have uh, <laughs> a Horror of Party Beach. I have a Horror of Party Beach monster. <laughs> I have Invasion of the Saucer Men. I have a Morlock. I have, you know, I have... Wow. I, can't, I don't think I can answer that question. It sounds like you've got all you want. <laughs> I've got everything I want. I mean, like something pops up. There's some, I mean, like I was collecting Japanese uh, vintage or not vintage vinyl, but I was collecting Japanese vinyl and I was getting kind of carried away with all these different characters because there's some great monsters that they think up themselves. And there was a couple of companies that started doing B-movie monsters in vinyl. And they're in a, I don't know if you're familiar with Japanese vinyl, but that stuff's expensive. They, yeah, yeah, because they do really short production runs, you know, like they'll make like a hundred of something in one color and, you know, sell it for two hundred dollars. So I started collecting like these B movie monster vinyls that this company started coming out with. And like uh, ones I never thought I a blood freak. I don't know if you're familiar with that <laughs> giant, the giant turkey monster. Yeah, they did a vinyl of the blood freak. And yes, I paid for it and I own it. Wow. So I yeah, I have you know, I have a robot monster vinyl. Uh what else have I got? Look up on the shelf. Curse of the Demon. You know, so it's like <laughs> so it's just, you know, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think of like who who don't I have that I would really, really want. And I'm I, I can honestly say I'm satiated right now. Wow. Alright. Yeah, I've got I've got, you know, the rat bat spider from Angry Red Planet. I've got the gargantuas. I've oh. got Man, Gorgo. I've got Japanese vinyl of, you know, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, Cyclops and the the Emir from, you know, 20 million miles to Earth. So it's like, yeah, I've got a lot of stuff. And is this at your store or is this all at home? This is me sitting in my office looking at the walls. Wow. You know, I don't have. Yeah, I don't have. I wish I had some of this stuff to sell. Um, But yeah, this is stuff that I've just accumulated over the years that, you know, I've, I've. you know, oh man, I gotta have that. You know, like uh, I think I I remember you said you were at uh, was it Monster Palooza and you were looking at the it uh, Monster Bash, yeah, 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 Monster Bash, yeah. I'm sorry, Monster Bash, um, and you were looking at the it figure mm-hmm. and you went back and it was gone. Well, my wife got me one for Christmas, so <laughs> I, and if you need, I can I can steer you towards the mail order company I got it from. So. <laughs> so I think the next important question is where is the office and where do you keep the extra key? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's man. I've seen a lot of the Japanese vinyl figures and, uh, there, there's a reason why the only place I have them is on my various wish lists. Yeah. Uh, they, they are pretty pricey, but man, they're gorgeous. Oh yeah. They really are. They, they really just, are. Do a beautiful job. Wow, man. So I, I, I defer, uh, I take the fifth on that question. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, final card, final question. Right. What's your favorite Lugosi-Karloff Universal collaboration? It's between Black Cat and Raven. Really? Not not the Frankenstein film, huh? No, 
No, wow. I, and, and, you know, and to be honest with you, Son of Frankenstein is my favorite Frankenstein film. Okay. Uh, just because you got Basil Rathbone, you've got mm-hmm. Karloff, you got Lugosi, yeah, Atwill. Um, yeah, I would, I'm gonna go Black Cat. It's a solid film. No, it is. It's, it's good. So it's good. Beautiful. It's it's really well filmed. That was the same cinematographer as uh, from Frankenstein, wasn't it? The the uh, German. I can't. Uh, he did. He did Bride of Frankenstein for sure. Yeah. Right. Right. He Bride. He did Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein. He did some of Invisible Man. The whole thing. So yeah, it's got a lot of. Oh, that. He, I think he directed yeah. it, didn't he? Uh, no, Whale did. A whale, a whale. That's right. Whale did, um, but he directed, and I can't remember the guy's name. And it's I'm, I I apologize out there. But John yeah. Mescal. Yes, that's it. So, all right. So, yeah. Well, there's my answer. There you go. Well, it's a great film. It's probably one of my absolute favorite Lugosi films, hands down. Oh, it's creepy yeah. as heck. Yeah, yeah. Edgar Ulmer, uh, the director. Man, he uh, he had quite the eye for this stuff, and I, I really wish he had gone on to do bigger and bigger things instead of everything that happened with him and him having to do some of the lower bottom of the barrel stuff. But right. God, such, such good work. Well, that was the classic five, man. How do you feel? I'm good. All right. You survived. Even, even yeah, if you, yeah. you did, you know, put my beloved creature below. No, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> um, oh yeah. Hold on. Do I have a monster up here? This Blanca's action figure. Ooh. Oh, I don't. Oh, uh, that's what I want. A monster Pierce blank is figure. I want to go back to that question. Okay, well, now I want one, too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> if I find one, I'll let you know. All right. Awesome. I've actually been kind of obsessed with the Hideous Sun Demon lately. Has there ever been an action figure for the Hideous Sun Demon? Got one. Oh. 12-inch. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, got that for a Christmas present, too. Man. Um, that was, uh, I think it's sold out too. I hate to tell you. Oh, I'm sure. Well, well, like I can afford it. Yeah. They only, well, I mean, it wasn't, it was like 80 bucks, I think. Yeah. Then, you know, they get a little pricey cause there's only like a hundred of them made right. or, or 500. I think they do 500 of them and they take a while to sell out, but I think that one finally sold out. Yeah, I'm I'm popping over to amoktime.com right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's out of sale or that out is, of stock. Yep, Ninety that bucks. Is, that yeah. is uh, that is where I I was gonna steer you towards because that's where I've getting gotten a lot of my uh, kind of weird and obscure figures. Yeah, they they do good work too. But yeah, they do. It's, it's pricey, but it's good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Right on. All right. So we got the classic five out of the way. Had some fun talking about some things that I cannot afford anytime soon. And uh, <laughs> open a toy, open a toy store. Hey, there you go. <laughs> then I can just justify having it. Exactly. Get the tax write off, right? It's a write off. Because <laughs> if I decide to sell it later, hey, there you go. <laughs> Does anybody work for IRS? Listen to this. <laughs> so we're going to talk about some Luchador monster movies. Ooh, uh, yes, and. and you are a huge fan. The one time that I was in your store, uh, I think I saw a Lucha Underground shirt or poster in the background. And, uh, and no, we, and, I was wearing a Lucha. Were you were, were you wearing it? I knew it was there. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, and we talked briefly about that. Not not too much because Scott was with us, and and he's not really into the wrestling stuff as much as I am, so didn't really want to bore him. But um, Peasant. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Oh, that's true. That's right. 
<laughs> so I know I knew just right away you have a, a love and affinity for this stuff. And as soon as I found out you were a monster kid, I just assumed, yeah, Luchador monster movies. It's got to be something you love. And you you were sitting there taking pictures of your the DVD collection you have with these things. Like I've got all these. Which one do you want to talk about? So yeah, yeah, it, it, we got to have you on the show. We got to talk about these Luchador monster movies. When was the first time you discovered them? Actually, uh, when I was a little kid, mm-hmm. um, reading Famous Monsters of Filmland back in the seventies. They did a, and I, I wish I could come up with the issue right off the top of my head, but I, I don't. But there was like this great article they did. Um, it was kind of like uh, monsters south of the border, and there was like these great shots of like you know these wrestlers fighting these fantastic, crazy looking American style Mexican themed monsters. It was great, and one of, one of the shots was the. Uh, the one from, you know, Santa and the Blue Demon versus the monsters. It was like where the, the monsters are all in the, the mind control equipment mm-hmm. when they're all lined up and the, the Cyclops can't fit in and they've got him standing kind of out with his head back. You know, it's like I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm like, oh, man, I got to see some of these. These are awesome. You know, I've always been drawn to like weird, goofy monsters. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, like I said, I'm a B movie junkie, so it's like you know, Paul Blaisdell is God to me. Oh yeah, you know, so it's like uh, you know, you got a guy running around in a suit with a big brain on it. I'm there, sold. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, let let's put it this way: I'm so much of a freak for this kind of stuff. I have a Invasion of the Saucerman tattoo on my forearm. Oh, nice. And a bunch of other stuff. Remind me next time I show when you show up, I've got a whole half sleeve of like B movie monsters. Oh man, kind of hidden. So it's it's on my arm. So don't get don't get scared. So <laughs> okay, I'll keep that in mind. I've been dealing with some health things, and one of the things that I've told myself is that when I get on top of it all and I lose some weight and all that, finally going to get that tattoo I keep talking about or telling myself I'm going to get. But what am I going to get? I have no idea. It's got to be a monster of some sort. But of course. You know, of course, I was pretty I was pretty late to, you know, the whole tattoo thing. I didn't get my first tattoo until about 15 years ago. So but, you know, you get, you get addicted. It's, yeah, that's uh, what I'm concerned about. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm currently figuring out how I can afford two half sleeves. So it's like, you know. Well, if you show them off in the store, they attacks right off. Then. No, I'm just. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think that that doesn't work. <laughs> I don't know. You could like charge people five bucks to take a picture with your sleeve. I don't know. I could. I should probably charge people a dollar to walk in and look at the museum I own. Hey, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd have probably very few takers, but hey, you know, there you go. I'd be there. there. I'd be there. I'd be there. Yeah. Okay. Well, these movies, uh, you know, I'm a, a latecomer to them. I, I did not get into them until very, very late in the game. But when I first discovered them, I was in love with them, and it spoke to the professional wrestling fan in me, and just getting absorbed in this luchador or uh, pseudo culture that you see in the films. These movies, they're they're mind blowing, and I I really think they deserve a lot more attention than they get. Oh, I agree. They don't just copy our monsters. I mean, they they do something <laughs> different with them, and, yeah, which we will get to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of it is you know they just have a Dracula and they they fight Dracula. They have a Dracula and they fight Dracula. They have a Wolfman. They fight a Wolfman. But right, right. What what monster movie from the sixties involves time travel? And Dracula. I, I can't think of any. Can you? No. Yeah. Was, was there an episode of Time Tunnel that did? <laughs> maybe, yeah, that's the only yeah, thing I can think about of. It. Yeah. Uh, or Star Trek, maybe? I Yeah. And I can think of. I mean, it's like 
some of the creativity that went into writing some of these films. Uh, honestly, you know, the, the screenwriter went home to his like eight year old. Okay, we got um, this monster movie. What would you like to see? Um, okay, Daddy, I would like to see um, Frankenstein and the Wolfman fight Santo and the Blue Demon. Oh, that's a great idea. I'll come up with a storyline. You know, it's like just, I mean, who came up with going back a bit? Ship of Monsters. <laughs> what? What the hell is that? Ship of Monsters Ship is of such monsters. a wow. I was, uh, I think I even brought it up. Uh, in last week's episode, our previous episode with Brenda, when we were talking about the Mexican monster movies, Ship of Monsters is just all kinds of wackadoo. It is, but it's so fun. It it's, never gives you a chance to stop and say, huh? Uh, uh, it's yeah, great. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, um, a, a singing cowboy, a robot in love with a jukebox, two beautiful babes traveling the universe looking for mates for their planet because the men have all died off. So they have these horrible monsters that they've, you know, found <laughs> to make with. And one of them turns into a vampire. Huh? God, like, sure. One of the women turns into a vampire because uh, yeah, uh, for no reason. <laughs> it's just like, Oh, she's a vampire now. <laughs> you can't get away with that. You know, I mean, honestly, it's like suspension of disbelief can only go so far. It's <laughs> such a, like, I, I have such a hard time just kind of wrapping my brain around the idea that somebody came up with this and enough people agreed that they went ahead and made that movie. <laughs> exactly. It, and and oh. I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, no, it's no, just, no, no, it's no. mind blowing that somebody, that, that they went through with it, that somebody yeah. sat down and said, this is the movie I want to make. And a bunch of people said, okay. Exactly. Oh, here's some money. <laughs> go, go make it. And, okay. and I don't know if it speaks to what the audience in that part of the world was looking for at the time or what, but that way of thinking just permeates all these luchador monster movies, all these monster movies from Mexico. It just, it's mind blowing to me. I love it. Yeah, no, it's like, you know, and you know, we, I, I think we can, can, can thank and blame Rene Cardona for a mm -hmm. lot of that stuff. You know, he was he was uh, a huge force in getting a lot of that stuff made because he had like, Santo under contract. I'm like, what can we do with him this week? You know, pretty much. I mean, there was a period of time where he was making. Let's see, what, what did I read somewhere? Like in a four year period, he made like 14 films. Santo, they just kept putting him into stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like I've got. Uh, I want to. Did you do 51 films? I read somewhere. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a crazy amount of films for like 60s, 70s. For a guy who didn't start as an actor. No, exactly. He was, you know, he was an established ring sensation. He was the pride of Mexico. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, let's get him in front of more people. Let's put him in the movies. You know, the first movie that actually that was supposed to star him didn't star him and still had him in the title. And I'm blanking on the name. See, I see that this is what. See, I told you, Derek, this was going to happen. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, it gives listeners something to write in about. Santo and Mescado, and they they put another guy in the mask. Oh, um, because Santo, I can't. Uh, uh, I'm failing you as I'm failing you as nah. an expert today. But yeah, so. Um, yeah, he wasn't even in the the original movie that that starred his name. Say, wow, tough. tough. Yeah, but yeah, and then they're like, oh, well, that movie did well without me. Let's put me in a movie. 
Yeah, if you go to the Internet Movie Database, I'm seeing uh, a total of 53 acting credits. And that's, I mean, <laughs> wow. From yeah. 1961 to 1982? Uh, 58 is what I've got. Wow. Brain of Evil, 1958. Wow. That's, that's uh, going to uh, be even more movies than that. Santo versus the, the Infernal Men, 1958 also. That's that's pretty crazy. And, and actually, Cerebro del Mal, that's the one I was thinking of. That was the 58 film. Okay, okay. Uh, I actually, I'm I'm cheating. I have my uh, Mexican Mask Wrestler and Monster Filmography sitting in front of me by Robert Cotter. Came out in 2005. If you don't have it, pay for it, get it. It's the best, it's yes. one of the best movies, books on this subject that you can find. I've had a chance to meet him. He's a, a semi-regular attendee at Monster Bash. Oh, cool. And the first year that I went, years ago, uh, he was selling lobby cards from some of these luchador films. And I had no idea what the movies were. I mean, I knew what a luchador monster movie was, of course, but I didn't know what the titles were. I didn't recognize any of them. But man, that artwork was so pretty. I had to buy some. Yep. And he had he was like, okay, they're $15 a piece, but I'll do two for 20 for you. I'm like, oh, okay. Right, I need yeah. this, 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 and this. So Yeah, I'd be I'd like, take my money now. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I because I, I, I also have – a fairly large collection of, of Lucha Libre one sheets. And I own the window card for Santo and the, the infernal brain, which is the very first one, which is the one where he's got the machine gun. Yeah. Um, You see, I know you're familiar with that, but it's like, you know, it's just him standing there with a machine gun and, you know, firing off it and a bunch of people like looking at him, you know, like, Oh my God, he's shooting a machine gun. So yeah, I have that window card. That was one of the first pieces I ever bought. That was like his first movie from 58. I actually got it fairly cheap because a lot of people back in the nineties, you can, you could find this stuff and nobody knew what it was. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. I want to say I paid 20 bucks for that, for that window card. Yeah, I, I've had to take eBay off of all of my favorites uh, lists and, yeah. and bookmarks because I, I'm so tempted. I go there and I look at these lobby cards and I just, man, the Mexican lobby cards, even for non-luchador stuff, even for Mexican or imports into Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, the Universal movies, uh, you know, just any of that stuff. The the way they presented them, the way they painted them, is <laughs> just so. Oh, it's amazing! Awesome. Yeah, it's just as glorious. I love it. It's definitely you know what you would deem lowbrow art mm-hmm. you're not talking matisse and, and van gogh here but it's some really really cool just mixes of colors yes and, and i love i love um a lot of the american movies that they took down you know yeah. and and they did lobby cards for what they would do is they actually would would do artwork um that was all the same and then they would insert photos into the lobby cards, which is what I was buying from Bob Cotter was exactly. a couple of those, yep. which I had never seen before. I didn't know that's how they did it at that time. And <laughs> how neat is that? I mean, yeah. you've got artwork on the lobby card. You've got a photo. It's just so cool. Yeah. I actually have a, a friend of mine was, was moving back East and I, I'd always drooled over. He has one for uh Santo versus the vampire women. And like, he had it like really nicely framed and everything. And, uh, he was moving and he was like, I got something for you. And I'm like, Oh, well, you know, I thought he was going to give me, you know, some DVDs or something. Cause he's really, and he had a huge collection. I'm like, cool, man, I'll come over and pick it up. And he like, he gifted that to me. And I'm like, <gasps> are you kidding me? Wow. So yeah, I've got that. And, uh, that and the, the, uh, Cerebro Del Mar hanging in the hallway. So, Oh man, 
That's that's amazing. So uh, Bob's book, the title one more time, because now I'm blanking on it. It is. I'm going to read it right off the cover. Okay. The Mexican Masked Wrestler and Monster Filmography. I'm going to make sure there's a link to the Amazon page where you can buy it. So I want to say uh, last time I checked, I think it's out of print and I think it's kind of spendy. Well, I'm looking right now on Amazon, and there are three left in stock for 25 bucks a pop. Oh, okay. That's not bad. So I'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes. I also will make sure there's a link to the book Mexploitation Cinema. Yes. Uh, it's by Doyle Green, which is another uh, resource. Now, this one is not luchador-specific, but it does have a pretty good chunk of uh, material devoted to Santo. I actually have to get that book. Because last time I looked, I actually looked like a couple of weeks ago, and it, it was out of stock, and I think it's back in now. So okay, yeah, I picked it up for the Kindle because it's a lot cheaper that way. Right, uh, it, it's from um, I think it's from McFarland, so it's probably going to be a little pricey. And I'll have to get the book and see, but I think a lot of the stuff that he does in depth look at were uh, a lot of the K. Gordon Murray stuff that had been translated into English and uh, brought back into the country. Right. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of in-depth looked into the movies that didn't get that treatment. Right, which is why a Cotter's book is just phenomenal. Oh, yeah. I just I just got done reading it again. Yeah. Uh, I think it was like the fourth time, you know, just to kind of prep for this. You know, I, I've had it since it came out. And I don't want to say 2005. So I was like, I was super excited when it came out. I was like, oh, my God, really? Uh, it's a solid book. If you have a chance to, to talk to... Bob Cotter at a convention. He's hard to miss because he usually dresses up as Kolchak. So he's got the rumpled white suit and the hat and all that. It's great. He's got the camera around his neck. <laughs> we, we are, we are kindred spirits already. Yeah. That was yeah. one of my favorite shows when I was a kid. Right on. Yeah. Right on. So yeah, yeah he, he's a great guy. He's fun to chat with. He knows his stuff and his book is phenomenal. So again, yeah. I'll make sure there's links in the show notes to these so people can uh, buy them. And through my link, I get like five, 10 cents back on it. So cool. You're supporting the show, too. Excellent. Buy the book through, there you go. through Amazon. There you go. So uh, I want to talk about... about the, yeah, I was going to say, let's talk about the movies. <laughs> We've been talking for 45 minutes. We haven't talked about a movie yet. You know, we're going to turn this into a two-part episode, so I'm okay with that. Okay. I'm okay with that. So I want to talk first about Santo and Dracula's treasure. Oh, okay. It, well, it, hold on. Let me shift gears. <laughs> I have. I was like, I thought we were talking about the Santa and the Blue Demon versus the monsters first. So I have okay, my well, notes all on what? that one. You know Let what? Me, I, I'm easy. Let's switch. Nope, That's nope, fine. Nope. 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 Oh, turn the page. Bookmark. Done. Okay. Fair all enough. Right. Yeah. So Sa Santo and Dracula's Treasure came out in '69. I do not speak Spanish, as I've made pretty evident on the show in my few <laughs> attempts to pronounce the word. So I'm not going to try to speak the uh, Spanish language title. How are you on your Spanish? Uh, Santo in Tesoro de Dracula. See? See, you sound like you know what you're talking about when you say it like that. Uh, also known as El Vampiro y El Sexo, which we will get to. Yeah, do we have to? Okay. Um, yes, we do. <laughs> we, we really yes. do. We, yes. Yeah, yes, we do. We do. It, it's part of it. It's part of the whole thing. I will admit that I actually own a copy. And we'll get to it. Okay. We'll, we'll get to it. So you mentioned Rene uh, Cardona earlier. Now, he yes. is the director of this film. He's the director of so many of these movies. Yeah. Uh, and this one is written by Alfredo Salazar, who I think also wrote quite a few of these as well. Yeah. And he was notorious for basically taking the same story and changing the players and making them do the same things in each film. This one, unfortunately, was a little different. This one kind of is, is uh, I'm going to use the word hot mess. You know, it's a confusing film. And uh, Micah Harris, 
been on the show, friend of the show, mentioned something on Facebook the other day about this, that depending on when you start watching this movie, you're going to think you're watching a different movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's like um, Dust to Dawn. <laughs> he, he does have Wait a little a bit of that. Wait a second. What movie am I watching? Right. Where did these vampires come from? You know, <laughs> so it's 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 got that total feel, you know. Hey, I bet Tarantino stole that from him. <laughs> well, or Rodriguez, actually. So, well, somebody. Hey, I know this film from the from the sixties. That yeah. So, but yeah, no. It's like it's it's honestly it's like two different films. At least, yeah. At least, <laughs> at least exactly, exactly. And and I love and this is what I love about a lot of these movies. You start these films and right off the bat, you're already in the world. We don't have to worry about an origin story. We don't have to establish that El Santo is the wrestler, scientist, well-known, beloved by all the people. He just is. We just dive right in. We're expected to know this. And maybe we'll get a sequence at the beginning of the movie where we see their face and their name. And that's all you get for introductions. And that's fine. These movies just dive right in. Oh yeah. The concepts, not trying to say anything negative about them, but they're pretty simple. So it's not hard to to dive in and be along for the ride right away. Santo, he's a scientist. He's a wrestler. <laughs> he's a national hero. Uh, people love being around him. Yeah. I mentioned that he has a time machine that he's invented. <laughs> but he won't use it himself because it's too dangerous. He wants a woman to use it because women are better built for this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm like, oh, what? we've come a long way. Yeah. Well, th- when this first started coming up, he's like, I want a woman. For- it's like, oh, come on. Really? Now, there is like a throwaway line about how they're they're sturdier, they're more resistant to this or that. So there's right. kind of like a backward, backhanded compliment here. But Yeah, exactly. They're a little resilient. Kind of like a chimpanzee or a dog that will send it to space before we'll send man. <laughs> Fortunately, there's a woman here. There's a woman around. <laughs> Hey, wow, I need a woman. Hmm. Hmm. I'll do it, Santo. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't think about sending you, Louisa. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, all right. Yeah. All right. Well, that there, there was a setup there. So uh, but my, my favorite part was all of the scientists getting out of the car. I mean, it starts basically right into like the car driving up to Dr. Sepulveda's you know, like nuclear lab or something. I can't remember what the plaque <laughs> says on the wall. Sure. But it was like, you know, they, they, and all these scientists get out and you can tell they're scientists because they're all wearing sunglasses. That's right. <laughs> And they're very important because they're wearing suits. And the next, the next scene is basically them sitting around a table and Dr. Sepulveda saying, I've asked you all to come here because a friend of mine has invented something he wants to tell you about in walks Santo. Uh, okay. You have, you have a professional wrestler who is also a scientist, apparently, who is using your lab that you funded to make a supposed – and it's not really a – time machine like it's like a molecular something they call it something and but essentially somebody goes you mean like a time machine and he goes exactly (laughs) you know so it's like it's like you you take the person and you send them back into time to their past life when they come back they remember everything that had happened in their past life so it's almost like a past life regression machine that has been invented by santo but it has never been tried. We don't know if it works. <laughs> okay. And then all the scientists are like, <laughs> see you later. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's nice. Okay. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So like, well, I guess we need to try this out before we bring all these important scientists over and tell them that we've invented this. All right. <laughs> let's, uh, 
let's let's uh, dress a woman up in a gold lame suit and stick her on the on the conveyor belt. You know, for being such a low budget movie, <laughs> you know, and these movies did not have the highest budget. I mean, they they oh, just God, didn't. No. no. Uh, but you know, for being such a low budget movie, I still love the uh, the machine, the the oh, device. It's I mean, awesome, man. She she gets pulled back into this hallway on this conveyor belt, nice and slow. Bunch of smoke. A lot of smoke and shadows. Uh, it, it feels like a very low rent, like amusement park ride kind of thing. And there's like then you've got the hypno wheel behind her. <laughs> exactly. It's something that Mr. Lobo would wish he could have. <laughs> so you yeah. know, um, it was like a low rent time tunnel set. Right. So are we watching a, a low budget kind of Erwin uh, Allen ripoff kind of thing here? Exactly. And I mean, I'm pretty sure that might have been where the idea had come from because, it, you know, Time Tunnel was on the TV at that almost that exact same time. Don't get too comfortable with the Erwin Allen-ness because eventually no. Dracula shows up. <laughs> yeah. The, what? I love my favorite part. This is one of my favorite parts is the introduction of Louisa to her past life. Slow motion jumping onto a bed. Yes. Yes. And then rolls up into, and she goes to sleep. Mm-hmm. And of course, Santo and his cohorts are watching this all on Time Tunnel TV. What? Where are the cameras at? So time travel, okay, I can buy that. But where are the cameras? How are they? Exactly. Fu- <laughs> like, what is going on? I, I, you know, uh, like I said, it's a hot mess, man. It's, yes. But it's yeah. a super enjoyable ride. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's super gothic kind of, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, it really feels like they're they're trying their best to ape the universal style here. Oh, Shadows, gothicness, oh, uh, gothicness is not a word, smoke, cobwebs. I mean, it's all there. This was kind of puzzling to me. It was like, this was supposed to be um, the first color film that they made. Did you see it in color? Or did you see it in black and white? No, what I have is black and white. Yeah, see, what I had is in black and white also. This is the first color film that they made because the other version that we yeah may talk about was in color and so i watched that first okay and then i watched the disc that i've got for it which is the rise above entertainment mm-hmm. and that's in black and white but the funny thing is is they transferred that in black and white and i could actually tell that it was supposed to be in color because the the it was really kind of fuzzy i was going to say that explains a lot uh during the opening credit sequence we've got that somebody watched horror of dracula a couple of times blood splattering down onto a uh, just a title card while the titles are being flashed above it. And you can barely make it out. Exactly. Barely, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so like when I watched it, you know, the quote unquote color version, it, it was like, it was like very vibrant red blood dripping down with this, mm-hmm. you know, the, the logo or, you know, the logos and the titles and everything. So when I put this in, I totally forgot it was in black and white. I'm like, what? You know, a little Scooby-Doo there. So, you know, I, I watched, watched both versions and it was uh, quite a different experience. Man, I want, now I want to go back. I haven't watched the, uh, the color version in forever. Now I want to go back and watch that just to kind of refresh my memory on it. Because you're right, totally forgot that it was color. Yeah. And like, yeah. I'd love to see all the stuff with Dracula and everything in color. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, it, was, and it was really, it was rich. Like a huh. really nice color separation and like the print was in really good shape. So it's like, yeah, it was, it was a really good print. You know, I keep calling him Dracula. I should probably correct myself. He introduces himself as Alucard. So we, we even got that, which I love. I love the Alucard Dracula thing. And I, I know it's cliche to do it now, but I love it. Oh, yeah, I know. And of course, you know, Dr. Was it Dr. Roth, who is technically Van Helsing? Yeah, Professor Von Roth. Von Roth. Yes. 
he figures out that it's Dracula. Oh, he writes uh, Alucard on Alucard, a piece of paper yes. uh, yeah. in English and then holds it up to a mirror and it, it reads Dracula. Even th- And some of the letters should have been reversed, but they're not. Exactly. I caught that too. And I'm like, uh, okay. More suspension of disbelief. And this is also when Dracula or Alucard comes in and they discover he can't be seen in a reflection. And <laughs> you know he freaks out and throws something at the mirrors. Like, I can't stand mirrors. This wasn't a clue. This wasn't, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah, that, that, there was that. It was like, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I have an aversion to mirrors. You know, it's like, okay, you just freaked out and broke a really nice, big, huge mirror in my living room, and I'm not supposed to freak out. I'm supposed to expect accept your apology. And doesn't work. Well, whatever you say, Dracula. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's like, uh, oh, and, uh, Mike, uh, going just skipping back for a second, it was yeah. like. Uh, where they're watching, they're looking on the TV, and, and Santo goes, uh, you can tell it's the turn of the century from the furniture. <laughs> or so, it makes some reference like that, you know. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know? It's Santo. He knows all. He does all. He's, exactly. he's our Superman. He Or their super. He's Superman. He's, pretty much. you know, yeah, he pretty much can do it all. He's the man <laughs> with the silver mask. Which, you know, and I've said this before on the show, I like Santo, but I, I usually gravitate more toward Blue Demon or Mil Mascaros or some of these others. Yeah. But, you know, you give me a Santo film and I'm I'm still all in. This, oh, definitely. Even definitely. if he's just sitting around with his buddies, including the, the uh, very weakling styled uh, <laughs> Perico uh, with the awesome necklace. Right. With a big dollar sign hanging off yeah. a chain. Oh, good Lord. You know, just hanging out with them, watching closed circuit, time tunnel TV. <laughs> yeah and like like and they're all standing around just watching this tv as it goes down and i'm like okay and they only cut and the, and the funny thing is they only cut back to him like two or three times yeah it's almost as if like i got the vibe this dracula storyline could have been its own movie well it's basically it's it's stoker's dracula it really is. <laughs> women are dying this guy bought a the the rundown mansion outside of town. Um, he showed up with three coffins full of dirt from a ship. Uh, you know, Van Roth is coming in to help. You know, save Louisa. It's Stoker's Dracula, pretty much. Yeah, Stoker's Dracula. A little bit of Universal thrown in with the Alucard thing, and that's about yeah. it. You know, the guy who plays Dracula, Aldo Monti, I think is the actor's name. I, I liked him a lot as Dracula. Oh, I thought yeah. he had a really good look. I don't know much about any of these actors or actresses, unfortunately, but it looks like he had done a handful of these movies, uh, the Luchador movies. I don't know what else he did, but he looked really good as Dracula. Kind of really menacing. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of, he's a creepy dude. And it looks like he did come back and play Dracula again in the Santo and Blue Demon versus Dracula and the Wolfman in 73. Yes. That, that was, uh, his other, quote-unquote, claim to fame, I believe. Which is also a really good one, and maybe next year I'll talk about that. That's a, that's, a, that's actually a really good film. It's really good, yeah. Yep. But he, he looks great. Uh, he's very menacing every time they... They don't go full in close-up on the eyes like they did with Lugosi and Universal's Dracula, but they have a lot of close-ups of his face to just show his hypnotic power over these women, mm-hmm. over these people. And it, it's really good, and for a minute... Like Micah Harris said, like we've been saying, you forget you're watching a luchador movie. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're just watching Mexico's Dracula. Well, and you know, once again, it's like it's like two different movies, except mm-hmm. for the occasional time tunnel TV. Right. You know, where they're sitting around watching what's going on. While they're watching, they do see or Dracula makes reference to the treasure he brought over from his homeland. 
which is where the title comes from, Dracula's Treasure. And when they do bring Louisa back, now Louisa got bit, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, she was actually full on vampire. Yeah. Her father and Van Roth were trying to save her and left the maid in charge, and we know how that always turns right. out. Oh, and that was the, that was the other thing that I thought was mistletoe. Nice touch. Something I hadn't thought of. No garlic. Yeah. Mistletoe. No garlic, no hawthorn, mistletoe. Uh, vampires can't stand the smell of it. Mistletoe. Merry Christmas. There you go. I like it. Yeah. But, you know, they're trying to save Louisa, and she gets bit that third time, I believe. Mm-hmm. And Dracula comes in, puts the maid, you know, who's in his power anyway, because he already came in and said, you know, you will do what I say. Mm-hmm. Basically takes her off. Louisa off and they are getting into the coffins to uh, have a good night, good, good morning, uh, good day sleep to get up so they can go out and, you know, ravage the countryside. And uh, that's when Van Roth and her, uh, Louisa's father show up and of course stake Dracula. Mm-hmm. And then um, they're getting ready to stake Louisa. And that's when all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden, Santo and everybody else is like, uh, we better bring her back or she's going to die. Yeah. So they immediately jump and they bring her back. And then going back, of course, she's jumping back off the bed. So they play that in reverse. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then they bring her back. And of course, she's in her gold LeMay outfit, you know, coming back on the the, uh, conveyor belt. And uh, he's automatically cured of vampirism. Okay. That's, you know, so sure. So what is, and that, that, I mean, that's, so technically that, that if you think about it, that would make sense because it, you know, it, yeah, here, I'm going to try to justify this. It would make sense that she is cured of vampirism because technically it wasn't really her body. It was her brain or mind had been transferred and she remembers mm-hmm. what had happened. But see that, that doesn't make any sense if they stake her and they kill her. If they bring her back, she could still be alive. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. But it cured her of vampirism, who technically she's undead anyway. Or if she dies, you can't bring her back and she's dead. <sighs> sure. That's you know, I was reading too. something online and just to kind of sidebar, uh, I was on Facebook the other day and, you know, over on the right, you get all the different pop-ups, this or that, you know, and, and I found some link right. to the top 10 plot holes of Star Trek that nobody talks about. And one of them was yeah. the transporter cures you. If you're sick, just go through the transporter and, you know, the data buffer and previous version of your body saved or whatever. So that's what I'm going to say happened here. <laughs> okay. the, the time travel oh, no, thing, that- you know, they just used a previous, ver- I don't know. Star Trek, Star Trek sure. effect. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. So time travel What's cures you of vampirism, apparently. There you go. Moving on. <laughs> now, they want to find Dracula's treasure, which isn't too far away, which is very convenient. Well, that was I was confused about that. <laughs> Did he bring the treasure over with him? And was it like located somewhere that they could get to it readily? Or was it in Hungary where he came from, where they make reference to him coming from? It was never said – I don't believe it was ever said where it was actually located. I don't think they ever do either, but they. it seems like it's not a big deal to go get it. No. Well, yeah. apparently it wasn't for everybody in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, well, we need the necklace and the ring to figure out where the heck it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, but yeah, yeah, he brought the treasure over, and so Santo decides he, he like, oh, that would be of great help to the, the poor of the world. 
Yeah, it's not. I want the treasure for myself. It's like, is it? You know, we're we're going to look for Dracula for science. We're going to use the treasure for good. Okay. Well, he is. You know, he's okay, he's, Superman. He is Santa. <laughs> but then you bring in the criminal element. Yeah, which yeah. we kind of glossed over a little bit uh, at the very yeah, beginning yeah. of all this, and I think Perico. Man, I can't. I can't even roll my R's. Uh, the, the guy with the thick glasses and the dollar sign necklace. Yeah, sees that, him a few times. Yeah, he does. And actually, uh, when they're sending Louisa back, he is like in the lab behind a pair of curtains, and he's got his face sticking out. And Perico sees him, and he's like, oh, and he's like, quit messing around. Yeah, nobody <laughs> believes him. Stop it. You are weak. Stop yeah, being yeah, weak. exactly, yeah. exactly. And this this was one of the first movies that that uh, Santo had a foil. A comedic foil, um, mm. and this was one of the first ones that they brought. I believe it was the first one they brought in the actor to play funny. Like apparently, they thought he needed help after a few years. Sure, I, I liken Perico to, um, and I was watching it, and I'm like thinking, I've seen this kind of character before, and it like it reminded me of. <laughs> this is a reach, and I, I don't know why my brain went there. It reminded me of the kid. In the Thin Man. Oh. You know the Thin Man movies? I love the Thin Man movies. Thin Man movies are the best movies ever made. I love them. I've watched those I don't know how many times. No, I love them. Um, I can't remember the kid's name. The Know-It-All Son. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but he's like, uh, in, uh, Gilbert. His name is Gilbert. Somebody says, Gilbert, you might want to hold your knife the other way. You're making someone so nervous. And for some reason, he just, the Perico reminded me of Gilbert. Okay. I, it just, my, my brain went there. I have no oh. idea why it just did. Yeah, I totally see the comparison there. Definitely. Yeah. So it's just weird. I, don't yeah. I, I, mean, I, I I get weird left turns every once in a while when I'm watching films. Hey, I'm the one that brought up Star Trek, so it's okay. Well, hey, <laughs> Star Trek fits into everything, I believe. Well, this is true. This is true. You, yeah, I need to do more classic Trek here on the show. But anyway, now the villains, uh, the criminal mastermind, the Black Mask, is that what they call him? I, I'm yeah. trying to find a reference to him in the film's credits on the Internet Movie Database, and I'm not finding much. I don't even know who played him. Do you? Well, I'm, I don't want to give away. He was the hood, but it was Roberto Rivera. He was also the production manager of the movie. <laughs> well, you gotta cut corners, I guess. Yeah. Hey, you know. Hey. But anyway, yeah. So that's. Uh, but I'm not gonna. I'm not like cat cat out of the bag just yet. But we will spoil it for you later. Yep. Oh yeah, there's always spoilers. Always yeah. spoilers these days. But yeah, Roberto uh, Rivera played the Black Mask. Well, you know, the funny thing it was kind of confusing. Was it the Black Hood or the Black Mask? Because when he was running around inside the lab and in the cemetery and everything, he's wearing a black hood. But then when they go to the the wrestling match, he's wearing a really kind of cool black mask. Yeah. I, I digress. His idea is he wants to get the treasure for himself because he's a criminal mastermind. That's what you do. Well, exactly. And you know, he's got his gang of, of thugs that he calls up. That he forbids using guns. No guns. No, no guns. guns. No guns. But they're all sitting around playing cards when he calls. I thought that yeah. was going to just like they're in beck and call of the black mask. Right. So, okay, well, we're going to go surveil Santo's lab, which is actually Dr. Sepulveda's. This is when Santo and Sepulveda and Luisa go to the cemetery. I believe so, yeah. And Perico right. goes with them, too. Perico very goes important. With them too, right? <laughs> uh, yes, very important because, you know, you have to have somebody carry the pick, shovel, and axe. You, you have to have the medallion and the ring in order to um, find where the treasure is. Which, if Louisa had recognition of being shown it, she would know where it is. Right. 
but that would make for a very short movie. Well, and it's all written in Serbian, isn't it? Yes, actually. Which is something uh, else they have to... <laughs> well, that's, no, that's something else that Santo knows, because he even says that he can translate it. I think he even says, he goes, oh, I can translate that or, you know... Right. Right, I'm like, is there anything you can't do? Right. Like, you know, I have some lead over here. Could you touch it? <laughs> so it turns to gold. It's Santo. It's Santo. Exactly. So they go down, they get the necklace and forget the ring. <laughs> they don't pick up the ring. You had two things to do, a necklace and a ring. Think you could take care of that? Yeah. You can read Serbian. Yeah. Why don't you? Yeah. Well, and then, because- and then his excuse later is like, oh, I completely forgot. <laughs> well. What? What? So. Yeah. Well, that, that does give the, the villains an opportunity to snag the ring instead. And uh, when, when they go back for the ring, they realize it's gone and we have a little confrontation. And is it at this point that um, our Perico finally gets into the fight? He gets the crap kicked out of him. But but he goes, did you see me jump jump in there? And, he, and then uh, Dr. Sfola goes, I'm very proud of you. Yeah. And Santo doesn't say anything like, thank you for you know trying to save me or anything like that. He just lets it go. So yep. this poor guy. Now, right before the scene, he's talking about how scared he is. And they give him a whistle, blow the whistle yeah. you know, if something happens. <laughs> of uh, course. After the fight, it's like, I didn't even blow my whistle. And he puts it in his mouth just as Santo smacks him on the back or somebody smacks him on the back. So, of course, we have the I swallowed the whistle gag and I can't you know talk without <laughs> whistling. Yeah. So how do we get the whistle out? Well, Santo just picks him up and holds him upside down. <laughs> And shakes the living crap out of him. So, and hey, it worked. Yeah. You know, no Heimlich here. Nope. Nope. Just Santo. Yeah. Okay. And he holds him upside down much longer than need be. Like after he spits oh. the whistle out, the, the scene continues and he's just holding him upside down. Exactly. Exactly. So you can, okay. can, you can put him down now. You, um, you can, you can, you can kind of just feel the disdain that Santo has for Perico in the movie at that point. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, and the one well, that coming up too, you know, we've got the confrontation between the Black Hood and his gang in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got him. I mean, they've got him right to left. And the Black Hood's like, well, we have the ring. And he goes, well, we have the necklace. So he goes, maybe we could work together. And he goes, I can't work together with you because you're evil. I've made a vow to rid of the world of all evil or something to that effect. So they're about ready to, I think they're about ready to kill them all. And Dr. Sepulveda says, your son is an, is an ample wrestler. Uh, I propose that Santo versus your son and whoever wins gets the ring. That is an honorable thing. And the, the black mask agrees to this. Sure. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's pretty much could do away with them, go to the house, search, find the, the medallion, have everything, but no, let's have a wrestling match. So we're like two thirds of the way through the movie right now, and we're having our first wrestling match. I was going to say that that's pretty rare for these things. Typically, these movies, there's a wrestling match, if not right at the very beginning, opening the thing. It's like happens pretty quick. <laughs> exactly, and that's that's what also makes them so interesting. And we'll have it in three weeks. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, must have you know, got to book the arena ahead of time, I guess. Well, you got to have that that moment for uh, Santo to kind of give some instruction to the club, to, to his class about how to do the wrestling and throw throw Perico around again some more. You could tell that, you know, uh, his disdain for Perico. And that was the other thing that was puzzling to me was them in the gym. And there's <laughs> the guy that's the head of the gym giving wrestling advice to Santo. Yeah. 
you need to throw him like this. And then he, you know, throws Perico around like the dummy and all these other guys that are, you know, these big brawny guys standing around watching. And Santo's like, oh, I see, you know, and then it's like, but don't do that. You know, it's like, it's don't it's, grab him by the ears. It's rude. And he pulls him up by the ears. And, right. And it's, yeah. the old, it's the old, you know, Warner Brothers. You could do this, but don't do this, yep. do, you know, and they're doing, you know, they perform it on Perico. And even as they leave that scene, and that's why I just burst out laughing, because I have the movie playing in a window on my screen here as we're chatting. Oh, okay. uh, that sequence just ended, and as they walk out of the scene, they both step on Perico, who's laid out on the mat after right. being beaten up. They both step on his stomach together as they walk over him and walk away. It's like, yep. come on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Poor guy. But and then, and then, you know, he's like, what are you all looking at? I'll take you all on. And then all of them pick yeah, jump on top. Yeah. Him, you know? uh, so you got to have a little comedic foil, I guess. And then we get our wrestling match. Santo versus Atlas. Atlas. He looked like he, he knew his way around a ring. Sure. And that's one of the things that I love about these movies, too. And and this is the uh, professional wrestling fan in me coming out and the luchador, the lucha libre fan in me coming out. Sometimes these movies used footage from actual matches. Sometimes they would stage the match for the film. Either way, they would oftentimes use a lot of luchadors and real-life wrestlers in these roles. So you get to see you know, now preserved on film, some of these performers that, you know, us here in America never had an opportunity to see. Exactly. You know, and I know this isn't the wrestling podcast and I kind of nerded out a little bit on wrestling in the previous episode, but you know, I, I love this stuff. It's, it's fascinating to me and, and I know it's all a work and blah, 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 whatever. It's still just fascinating and, and just mesmerizing to me. And to see this match here with Atlas and Santo, I know it's staged for the film, but it still looks good. It's a good match. I mean, he's doing DDTs on him. There's all sorts of oh, great yeah. moves happening here. The patented head, flying headbutt that Santo always did. Exactly. I, honestly, I know the stuff's fake. You mm-hmm. know the stuff's fake. Try doing it. Right. It's still physical. I mean, it takes it's still. a toll on those guys. I mean, you know. Well, and especially in Mexico, because these matches were like two out of three, no time limit. They would just go on and on and on. Exactly. You know, exactly. These days, modern professional wrestling, the matches are over in what, 10 minutes, unless it's something special. Right. Exactly. And, and still, that's hard work. Don't get me wrong. Oh, but yeah, no, it's like, I mean, you have to be in top physical shape to be running around that ring for as much as those guys do. Mm-hmm. So it's like my hat's off, you know, my mask is off to them. That's right. That's right. So, so. but yeah, so the, anyway, we've got the match, you know, Atlas wins the first round. Yeah. That's what I always, I always like the, the footage where the, the fans are, are right up against the apron. Yes. And just pounding on the mat and stuff, you know? So like that, that I believe is, was probably the live action, like the real actual match that they were doing. Right. And then you get the, you know, the cutaway shots with the black mask walking around the, the outside of the ring with a black overcoat on and, and the hat in the hat. And, and he's looking pretty hat. cool. He looks pretty good. He's got that nice little cleft chin, mm-hmm. that little Kirk Douglas chin. And I was like, wow, he's a pretty good looking guy. Yep. And then you've got on the other side, you got Perico, Louisa and Dr. Sefolveda, you know, cheering on Santo, you know, then round two comes Santo wins round three comes Santo wins. And something else too that I love about these movies is that you've got the professor, you've got the scientist, these, yeah. these, these high ranking people in society are enjoying the heck out of a Lucha Libre match. And oh, it's, exactly. it's no big deal. And, and exactly. I love that national pastime. That's right. That's exactly. right. You know, so lo and behold, after the match, the black mask comes back and, and honorably gives them the ring. Wasn't expecting that. 
No, I wasn't either. And that was the whole thing, too. I think he talked to his manager and said, you know, we might have some problems. And you go, okay, well, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll back you up. There was no problem. He gave him the ring. Well, then we find out that, you know, the Black Mask had made a copy of the ring. Yeah. Duh. And then he goes, we'll get the, uh, the medallion and then we'll, we'll be all set. And then Santo threatens him. I'm going to you know, bring you to justice or whatever when he gives him the ring. And I'm like, well, he just gave you the ring, dude. Shut up. You know? <laughs> what did he do to you at this point? I mean, there, there's nothing to really bring him to justice for other than. You guys had a little scrap. You beat the crap out of his son. You won the ring. Yeah. He's the, he's Santo. That's what he does. But yeah, he took a microscopic photocopy of the ring. Why is it, <laughs> it got to be? I don't. Okay. The best part was, and this is the whole plan to get the, the medallion back. Let's go wake up Dracula. <laughs> well, there's an idea. Okay. Oh, that's right. This is a Dracula movie. We got to bring him back in. <laughs> exactly. It's, you know, we have to bring the monster back into the second half of the movie to make it a monster quote unquote movie. I like the one guy, he goes, pull the stake out. I'm not going to pull the stake out. You pull the stake out. And he called, you're weak. And he pulls the stake out and they run like hell. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like, <laughs> we're out of here. And of course, Dracula comes back to life. Of course. And there's some great shots of him walking around outside. There's smoke and mist and all that. And he's got his cane. He's yep. clubbing people over the head with it. I mean, it's just yeah. a, a great sequence. Some of the best shots I thought, I mean, actually, I really I loved the way they lit it was him standing outside when the little girl's playing with the medallion. Yeah. And the underlighting and the smoke. I'm like, ooh, if that's not creepy, what is? Because this little girl, there's this, uh, I'm not going to go into the whole relation thing, but there's a little girl who wants the medallion because it's really pretty. And Louisa says, you can't have it. It's in, it's Uncle Santos and we can't touch it. It's It's evil or something like that. So she wakes up in the middle of the night and this is Dracula's like at the house stalking the outside she goes in and she's a little little pardon my language i won't say it <laughs> <laughs> steals the the medallion out of the drawer and puts it on and like right behind her all of a sudden lit up is dracula and it's like it's just a creepy image yeah so then dracula breaks into the house he sees the medallion i don't know where the ring was i don't know where the, you know where he got the ring but he got the medallion back yeah and then realized louisa's there his love of his life that he's a hundred years prior had turned into Mrs. Dracula. Right. And, uh, so he takes her and realizes, you know, let's go. And so off they go. And the poor gardener, <laughs> Jose sees them and, and runs outside and asks where you're going. And Dracula promptly beats him with his cane. You poor guy. And then he stumbles back to the house to tell Santo. Who, who's sleeping in his mask when he comes out to see it's what's going on. Yeah, he's got the robe and the mask. And the, again, you know, That's I know Santo. Well, yeah, exactly. They all wore their masks. That, that was the thing. Did he wear it around right. the house? You know, it's just him and his family. Who knows? Actually, but, one year I went a Halloween costume with, with uh, I had this powder blue jacket and I wore like a white pants and white shoes and a white turtleneck and a, a Santo mask. I was leisure Santo. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So they, um, they did everything. My favorite shot is, um, when they drive around in the sports cars. Yes. To me, that's just so cool. Yes. That's, that's, <laughs> uh, right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, how cool can you get? I mean that, you know, sitting around playing chess in your mask, not exciting driving around in a sports car. 
with your mask on. Awesome. Oh, yeah. And cape. Yes. Yes. Even so, better. Even better. Anyway, I digress. So we should keep going because we're, you know, this is going to be like an eight hour long episode. So. <laughs> well, we are going to have another fight because we got to have another fight. And then this one's not in the oh. ring. You know, they are going to catch up to black. You know, Santa on them is going to catch up to black mask. Right. Right. And, you know, I know, again, I, I keep saying it. I know it's all staged, choreographed, whatever, but these are wrestling moves, not in a ring. And not that the ring really gives a lot of buffer or protection. On dirt. Yeah. On dirt, up against cars, things like that. And yeah. some of the people taking hits are not wrestlers. You can't tell me that the guy who plays Perico <laughs> spent a oh, lot right. of time in the ring. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. You know, they, they were taking bumps. They were taking some Oh, bumps. they had to have. I, yeah. mean, that was, I mean, that was brutal. The only thing that was wrong with the, the fight in the cave was there was just too much dust. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, so, but, and so Dracula takes her back. They, <laughs> well, go ahead. I was going to say, I love that while they're fighting the Black Hood in the uh, parking lot or wherever they're at, <laughs> yeah. and the police come in to break up the fight. Like, like the police were right on their tail. That was the whole thing of that chase. So, like the three cars go by <laughs> at a hundred miles an hour and the cops are sitting there like, Oh, we better follow them. And so they take off after them and they should be right on their tail. They showed up like what? Five minutes later. And as soon as they show up, they, they jump out of the car practically and start firing their gun in the air. In and the then air. they start yelling, freeze, freeze. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> apparently I even said to my wife when I was watching, I said, apparently it's shoot first to ask questions later in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Oh, no consequences with those bullets coming down anywhere in the neighborhood. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, but this is where we we do get the reveal of who uh, the black mask really is. Yep. And yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a Scooby Doo episode. Who? Right. Yeah. You know, it was introduced briefly at the beginning of the movie. It goes back to the whole thing I was saying at the beginning, though. These are characters that we're expected to know. There's really not an intro. There's not really an origin. It's like, oh, it's that guy. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Doctor Care, who was one of the the scientists that had heard and walked out in disbelief that the machine actually worked mm-hmm. had his doubts and had come back as the black hood to find out if the machine worked. And it did. Yep. And then they hand everybody over to the cops. The two cops that are standing there is like what? Five guys. Yeah. Five, six guys. Uh, you need to take these guys into custody. We'll come to the police precinct and place charges later. You know, he's Santo. He can do anything. Yeah, okay. Well, of course. Sure. Okay. Santo. The cemetery didn't change much in a hundred years. Did it? No, not really at all. <laughs> So that's what something I noticed, like, you know, from like when the, the you know, doc going back to the beginning, Dr. Roth trudging through the cemetery. I was like, it's the same cemetery and like nothing's overgrown a year, a hundred years later. It's just, you know, it's a well manicured cemetery. Sure. Yeah, so. <laughs> Very well taken care of. Yes. You know, so and then, they, you know, so, they, you know, the final confrontation with Dracula. Which kind of ends on a really kind of note, but. Okay. Yeah. I know, you yeah. know, but you know, it is uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it is like Santa and Santa knows the whole time, but doesn't tell his compatriots. Yeah. Oh, we need to get out of it. Watch the sun's coming up. Like, how important is that? You're under the ground. His buddies blow a hole in the top of the, the <laughs> cavern with some dynamite. So hundreds of pounds of rock come flying down. They're worried what the sunlight's going to get him. Yep. And then Dracula, of course, you know, the sun comes up. Dracula's turned to dust once again for the hundredth time in movie history. And uh, they don't bother to go back and get the ring and the necklace that they've all the trouble has been for in the first place. That's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I think he says. I, I can't remember. He makes a makes a reference. I think the you know the treasures left better left unfound or something like that. Just to wrap it up. Okay, so you guys have risked life and limb for the last two thirds of the movie, and you're not going to go after the treasure. Well, and his wrestling buddies. <laughs> yeah. And his, yeah, I love that. So love uh, that's it, huh? Uh, okay, vampire? Santo, go take some aspirins, and and uh, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> vampires. Okay. You know, like they're like shake. They just shake. The, they were vampires. Uh huh. Sure, they were. You believe Santo about everything else? You're not gonna believe him that he just fought vampires. You were willing to blow up part of the cave yeah, and, exactly. and blast some dynamite, but exactly. you, you didn't know, tell, yeah. So you're gonna put mortal people in danger and blow the cave up just because Santo said so. But now you're not gonna believe him that there was vampires involved, and you're just gonna shake your head and walk away. <laughs> okay. Yep. Well, okay, Sam. Tony's like patting him on the arm. Like, okay. Yeah, okay. We'll see Santa. you later. Uh huh. We'll sure, later. buddy. Don't forget you got that match in Guadalajara against Blue Demon next week. <laughs> this movie is, I mean, we've had a lot of fun kind of talking about it and oh, kind yeah, of no. poking some fun at it, but How man, I love not? this movie. How could you not? Right. These films, the Lucha Monster films, or just Lucha films in general, are so fun. It's like you just put it on and watch it and have a good time. They really are like, don't try to read anything into it. Don't try to, you know, bring social consciousness to it or anything like that. It's monsters. Mm -hmm. It's wrestlers in masks fighting. Yep. Have fun. So on that level. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. You said something, don't bring social con. There is actually uh, an argument to be made. I think for some of that, if you go back into that exploitation cinema book that I mentioned, and this kind of opened up my mind up to this. I didn't, even consider this because for me it was just like yeah it's a wrestling monster movie it's fun if you go back and you look at a lot of these monster movies the luchador monster movies in particular a lot of them are about european style villains invading or or attacking mexico exactly so there's there's a lot of this mexican identity you know pride of mexico keep the european invaders out there's a reason why they fought nazis a few times i mean there's a lot of you know, the Europeans are bad, the Mexicans are good kind of thing going on here, which, you know, I could see that being a thing, too, in, in the culture and important to the Mexican people at this time, you know, as borders are opening up and the world is getting smaller and, and a lot of the American influence is coming in. I can see that, too. That said, it's still just a fun romp. Oh, exactly. Exactly. That's a, you know, it's, it's just all, a fun romp. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just goofy. It's just goofy. In the best way possible. And, oh, and exactly. When you get to the color films, man, they even go. Poof. But before we move on to uh, the monsters, do we want to address the, the uh, what happened with this film? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's let's just touch on that briefly. <laughs> now, you brought it up earlier. So. I, I did. I did. <laughs> um, so apparently Rene Cardona decided to film some how should racy scenes, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't think you've seen it, right? Um, I have seen it, but it's a long time ago. I was watching it. And I'm like, okay, this is, you know, this is pretty tame for the, Oh my God, is he doing what I think he's doing? The whole thing. I mean, I got a DVD copy of it from a friend of mine years ago. Mm-hmm. And because we were both just huge Lucha fans and, and this film, this version of this film had been lost and it was called, El Vampiro y el Sexo. And it was lost kind of on purpose. My understanding is that Santo was not happy about this. No, he wasn't. And actually, the, what I've read 
was that Santa was pure and good and children adored him, families, the whole, he was a family man. He didn't like that at all. They had filmed some scenes of the vampire brides. And if you watch the movie, I can tell you exactly where they inserted all of this stuff. Um, Santa was not involved with any of the shoots. He was not in any of the shots. It was all the vampire brides and the vampire. There's a scene where um, Dracula goes, excuse me, I have to tend to something. And then all of a sudden he's in his lair with all these beautiful women with really huge beehive hairdos. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, you guys are – they're gorgeous women. They're all dressed in black robes. And then they put two women – down on the slabs and chain them down very loosely. And then Dracula puts the bite on him for the third time, which I guess is the charm and turns him into vampire brides. So at that point, all of the vampire brides basically drop trial. Yeah. You know, the robes come off, they're standing there full buck naked and man, they are some amazing women. They would make Russ Meyer blush. <laughs> it was yeah. I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, the vampire, he, you know, he does the, the, the rubber stamp on the neck. I thought that was pretty <laughs> funny. But he does that while they're naked and he walks, you know, and he goes, okay, now we go out the countryside and spread our terror. So there is that shot. The other shot was when he's talking to the maid, he removes her top. And as she's standing there like half naked and he's talking to her and like, you know, kind of fondling her. Then there was the, the scene that I was that I was just talking about where it was uh, the third bite on Louisa. He um, basically removes her top, you know, because she's sitting there in her negligee, removes her top. And he's like kind of, you know, doing the little lick around the neck and stuff. And then all of a sudden he just kind of disappears out of frame for a little while. And she's writhing in ecstasy. And I mean, honestly, I'm trying to describe this as nice as I can. So and then he comes back up. He does a little more fondling and bites her on the neck. And as far as I know, those are the, the insert. Those are the only differences in the film is basically those three shots. Pretty much it. Yeah. The whole idea was look at the time frame that this was mm-hmm. made. Sixty eight. Okay. Um, what other huge, uh, you know, studio was doing women in blood hammer. So the idea was that this was supposed to be for a European release. And as far as I know, it never got released, uh, was ever seen in public. It was, had been rumored for years. And then, uh, I had read when Cardona's uh, daughter went through the film archives, they found a copy, they found the print. And it was Guillermo de Toro at his insistence. And he was like, had a festival down in Mexico. And he goes, I want to show that film. It's never been shown. And so that film got shown. Yeah. And the rest is history. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Santos son, from what I understand was not keen on that. No. And it no. kind of became a thing, but it's out there now. You can find it. It doesn't change the story one bit. Nope. Uh, it just kind of extends things a little bit. Yeah. With some nudity. A little t- titillation, as they say. Just, just a touch. Just yeah. a touch. Just, and it's not, you know, it's not anything. I mean, it's not hardcore or anything. I mean, it's, it's you know, honestly, it'd probably get uh, a hard PG t- today. But it's just, you know, back then you're like, uh, they're standing there completely naked. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And smiling with nice hair. 
Yeah, <laughs> really nice hair. Really nice hair. I mean, you know, if you're laying in a coffin, you you know, I don't think you have time to step out to a hairdresser and get your your hair done. I don't know how Santo <laughs> didn't know that was. I mean, I guess the story or that what we're being told or we're supposed to believe is that Santo didn't know that this was being shot because he's not in any of the scenes, and, and this right. was all done later. And I I don't know if I believe that one hundred percent, especially since these are people that had worked together before and since. Right. Nobody said something when the guy who played Dracula came back for the film a couple of years later to do another movie with him. He didn't mention, hey, where's the naked ladies this time around? You know, he didn't. Right. Nothing came up. So right. I, you know, I got who knows? I'm just kind of speechless. Yeah. You know, it's just it just it's unnecessary, but it's in color. Yeah, exactly. It was. So you do get that. Yeah, it was in color. So and like, I mean, I'm sure there's there's copies of. To sort of do Dracula that that is in color because, like I said, it's it was the first color film that he made. Yeah, but I was just kind of surprised that Rise Above the disc that I got was in black and white. So yeah, which is what I have here. Yeah, yeah they chose so odd not to put it in in color. We've mentioned it a couple times. I want to mention it again. DrTongueToys.com is where you're going to want to go. Might have just heard Wednesday in the background, and if not, well. Trust me, there's a cat in the background. I think she probably wants to go to Dr. Tom and pick up a toy or two. Or she can hop online. Like I said, he's got an Etsy store and a Facebook page. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to all of this over at monsterkidradio.net. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Mark and I talk about this movie. Next time around, he's going to be coming back, and we're going to be talking about Santo and Blue Demon against the monsters. So you'll hear part two of Mark Peterson on Monster Kid Radio next week. Thanks again, Mark, for being part of the show and for all of your support. graveyard late at night and seen a coffin open have you ever thought what it would be like to see a person's head amputated think think of things so horrible that the human mind cannot imagine them see all this and more when you see on stage in person that crazy mixed up dr evil and his hairs of the unknown unlike anything that you ever seen or heard of in the past hideous creatures from beyond the grave leave the stage and grab girls right out of their seats girls do not come alone bring your boyfriend to protect you when the lights go out. You may find a live snake or rat under your seat. A real dead body is given away to some lucky person at every performance. Also, in person, the mummy and King Kong, famous Hollywood gorilla, real and alive. Plus, on the screen, two horrific motion pictures. Dr. Evil and his tears of the unknown. Plus, two horrific pictures. It's so scary, we dare you to see The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party, the first movie ever filmed in horror vision, Hollywood's latest miracle. You'll scream as fiendish movie monsters actually become alive, then crash right out of the screen, go into the audience, and carry screaming girls from their seats right back into the picture to become part of the movie. We warn you, horror vision is not 3D. The movie monsters become real flesh and blood. Be sure to see The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party in horror vision and color. Deep in an underground labyrinth is a fantastic invention which cost billions of dollars, the time tunnel. But what does it cost a man to face the incredible dangers of the past or the unknown secrets of the future? Titanic. That is impossible. The ship is unthinkable. This ship is dead, and so is everyone on board, unless you give immediate orders to lower the lifeboats. Treason! Accelerate power! 
Wherever he and Doug are now, at least they're together. But where? We couldn't begin to guess. The time tunnel. Vault of Monster Collectibles, Famous Monsters of Filmland, number one, Warren Publishing, February 1958, kindly written for MKR by Michael Dodd. All of us monster kids owe a huge chunk of our identity to the shock theater package of universal horror films shown round the country in 1957. This phenomenon took the kid world by storm and made being a monster kid mean something. It also brought about the genre-specific group of publications commonly called monster magazines. Famous Monsters of Filmland Number 1 began a 25-year journey for the premier monster magazine publisher, Warren, that lasted from 1958 to 1983. Famous Monsters was originally intended as a one-shot, but demand was so great that it went to a second printing. Publisher Jim Warren and editor Forrest Ackerman knew they had a winner, so soon the second and subsequent issues followed and Monster Kids Everywhere rejoiced. They actually made a magazine for us! Prior to Famous Monsters, the germ of the idea began in a girly mag called After Hours, published by Jim Warren. In the fourth and final issue of After Hours, there's an article called Confessions of a Science Fiction Addict, written by Ackerman, and another article called Screamoscope is Here, which got the Monster Mag ball rolling. By the way, After Hours is extremely tame for today's standards, featuring only discreet almost nudity. It would probably be rated PG-13 nowadays, if that. And to think Jim Warren actually got in trouble with the authorities for that. The 50s were tough for girly mag publishers. An honorable mention, as possible inspiration for Warren and Ackerman, is the seldom-seen French publication called Cinema 57. It looked at monster movies, but was an isolated issue of a publication covering film in general. The cover of the first issue of Famous Monsters is iconic indeed. I apologize, my um, RA can affect a joint in the voice box of your throat, so um, it can make your voice a little cracky and a little, uh, I guess, maybe raspy, so I apologize for that. Also, let me know if it's hard to listen to because we considered putting this off for the next episode. So if this is uh, rough to listen to, please let us know so that um, I can just know to go ahead and skip these on these days. Let's see. The cover of the first issue of Famous Monsters is iconic indeed. It features a photo of Jim Warren in a Frankenstein monster mask with a comely lady named Marion Moore. By the way, Marion Moore is said to have been a coffee shop waitress that worked on the same block as Warren Publishing offices. Forey Ackerman aimed the content at 8-14 to 14 year olds and his trademark puns proliferated through the FM run. 
Also of importance to FM readers was the behind-the-scenes coverage of the creative people responsible for the monsters, actors, and makeup men. Monster kids everywhere became familiar with their heroes Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi, Lon Chaney, and Ray Harryhausen. Famous Monsters number 1 is extremely undervalued in the marketplace when compared to similarly important comic book issues. Low-grade copies are commonly listed on eBay, but high-grade examples are very scarce. Also, because non-comic monster mags aren't listed in recurring price guides, the prices tend to fluctuate far more than comic book prices. The fact that monster mags have seen very few price guides over the years is probably a strong contributor to prices being much lower for significant monster mags than for comparable comic books. If Overstreet had started listing famous monsters in his comic book price guides from the 70s, then the prices would have climbed steadily at a much higher rate, similar to what happened with comic books. Another thing that holds down monster mag prices is that there just aren't as many people collecting them as there are for mainstream comic books. Here's my suggested price range breakdown by grade for famous monsters of Filmland number one. Poor, 0.5, $50-$100, Fair, 1.0, $100-$200, Good, 2.0, $200-$400, Very Good, 4.0, $400-$600, Fine, 6.0, $800-$1,200, and Very Fine, 8.0, $2,000-$2,500. $2, Keep in mind these price estimates are for accurately graded copies by Overstreet grading standards. If you're shopping for a comic or mag on eBay, don't take any seller's word for the grade. eBay sellers commonly overgrade by as much as a full grade or more. If you don't see full If you don't see detailed scans of the front and back covers of the actual issue you're considering purchasing, and you don't see a good description of the interior and paper quality, then move on to avoid problems, unless it's very underpriced, in which case you may want to roll the dice. That's up to you. If it's professionally graded and slabbed, you can pretty much trust the grade to be very close and you'll probably get no rude surprises regarding anything missing or any restoration. I didn't list any prices for FM number one past the very fine grade because they so seldom ever come up for sale, being quite scarce. I heard tell of a slabbed near mint. 9.4, example that changed hands years ago for $10,000, but who knows what it would sell for now, maybe 5 to 10 times that, maybe more. Famous Monsters number 1 hit the stands before I was born, so my first brush with FM came in 1963 at the age of 4. Been a monster kid ever since. In the early 2000s, when I got serious about completing Monster Mag runs, I bought a very good copy for around $300 in a package deal with Vampirella number one and a couple of other Monster Mags. 
So the low to mid-grid copies you commonly see for sale really haven't gone up much in the last few years. Still, if you're procrastinating about buying a copy, you never know when someone will do a big budget flick featuring the whole Monster Kid phenomenon since it's at the forefront of pop culture and geekery these days. If that happens and some kid expounds on his love for famous monsters of filmland while flipping through that iconic first issue, then crazy prices will ensue. Probably won't happen, but if it does, don't say I didn't warn you. Next episode, we'll look at some hard-to-get Monster Kid artifacts from the Captain Company pages of Warren Publishing, the creepy and eerie rings. It's a piece of skin, like leather. From all corners of the earth, they gather to study the mystifying frozen fossil, a reptilian tail that grows into a giant of terror. It's alive! It's loose! You have been invited here to see for yourselves one of the most amazing events in the annals of scientific history. Reptilicus, a monstrous massive beast whose astounding appearance causes panic. Reptilicus approaching the city. Repeat, Reptilicus approaching the city. This is Grayson. All units. Reptilicus. An annihilating mastodon, immune to all known weapons of warfare, creating chaos such as mankind has never before known. their life on Mars? For centuries we have wondered. Now for the first time, through the new photographic miracle of Cinemagic, you will see the wonders of this strange and terrifying world when you see the angry red planet. Join this daring crew, the first in the scientific race between nations to attempt to land on Mars. Nine, eight, seven, six, Five, four, three, two, one, fire! Blast off from Earth with courageous astronauts Gerald Moore, Nora Hayden, Les Tremaine, Jack Crucian. Travel thousands of miles through space to the unknown. Cinemagic is not being shown to you now, but this wild land comes alive in Cinemagic. You'll see buildings miles high in Cinemagic. 
journey to the center of sudden terror in cinema. Be trapped by the tentacles of man-devouring plants in Cinemagic. Feel the fire-hot breath of a 40-foot monster as it reaches for you in Cinemagic. Your eyes will see the wonders of a world no eyes in this world have ever seen before. I wonder, will we ever get back to Earth? Hey, comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. Hi, this is Jamie Alexander, the Asgardian warrior Sif from Thor. I went to Marvel. They said, hey, sit down. We want to talk to you about this part. So what happened was I had a knife in my purse. I set the purse on the chair and it fell off and the knife fell out. And then they were like, oh, God, you really are Lady Sif. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one, the only, William Shatner. There's all these rumors out there that you're going to be in the next Star Trek film. Well, I'd like to be in it. You know, I don't want to be a gratuitous character. Like scrubbing the windows on the Enterprise or something? There's a guy on the wing. Chris Pine! There's a guy on the wing. Chris Pine says there's a guy on the wing. (laughs) Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is John Reese davis Hi, everyone. This is Summer Glau. Hi, this is Trisha Helfer, number six from Battlestar Galactica. Hey, this is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior. cosmic ray, the Earth is invaded by indestructible moon monsters. Their ghastly mission, death for all humans. What astounding technical developments are being made to protect mankind? Robot Monster brings you an actual preview of the devastating forces of our future. Unsuspected revelations of incredible horrors that will terrify you with their brutal reality. There is no escape from me. Very well. I will recalculate. Your death will be indescribable. Fool humans, there is no escape. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank you for tagging along, for being my tag team partner as we talk about these Lugidor monster movies. They're just such a unique beast. They're so fun. And I can't wait for next week because 
technically next week will be the first time we've talked about a movie on the show that we have previously talked about. If you remember back in the day, like I think during the first year of MKR, I'd have to go back and double check the episode number. Santo and Blue Demon Against the Monsters is something that I saw at a local movie theater here. And we crashed the show with a bunch of other listeners of Monster Kid Radio, and it was so much fun. Well, now that I've seen the movie, well, a couple of times, I can kind of look at it a little bit more objectively. And, uh, well, it's still a fun time. But I don't want to spoil next week. Come back next week for that conversation. I don't have any feedback this week, but if you want to contribute feedback to the show and talk about this movie or any other previous movie that we've talked about here on the podcast, all you got to do is shoot me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And if Brenda's feeling up to it, she'll read the email on the show and then we'll talk about it. Or if you want to call and leave a voicemail, you can do that too. You can call me at 503-479 5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Of course, this is all available on our website at monsterkidradio.net. You want to head over there to learn everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. Here you can find a link to everything that we've talked about here on the show. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but lately I've been putting the Amazon links for the different books and things that we've talked about here on the show over on the website. If you go over there and click on Shop Now and buy that book using that link, I get a teeny tiny kickback and every little bit helps to support MKR. We do have various monthly recurring charges like our hosting fees, and this helps to defray that a little bit. So if you're interested in buying a book or two, try to use that link first if you don't mind. Also, I want to make sure that uh, I remind everybody that later this month, boy, my cat's going crazy in the background. And I think it's because she's excited for Victoria Price coming to town. If you're in the Portland, Oregon area, specifically if you're in the Beaverton area, on Wednesday, May 23rd at Pals Books at Cedar Hills Crossing, she'll be signing her book, The Way of Being Lost, A Road Trip to My Truest Self. Now, the book isn't all about Vincent Price. She's already written that book, but I've read The Way of Being Lost, and there are still things about Vincent Price that pop up. I think Monster Kids would dig this book and enjoy it. Plus, Victoria's just super cool, and I can't wait to meet her again when I go to the signing on May 23rd. We've never really done a Monster Kid Radio crash, a non-movie event here in town. I think we'll probably try to do that. I would love to meet up with you, and I would love to be there when you meet Victoria Price. And speaking of upcoming events, I haven't really talked about this yet too much, but I'm really hoping I can put together a crash for this as well. The Northwest Film Center here in Portland, Oregon, over at nwfilm.org, has a screening of the seventh voyage of Sinbad. That's happening Saturday and Sunday, May 19th and May 20th. Journey to a magical time when heroes and demons battle for the golden treasures and the human spoils of forgotten kingdoms. Thrilled to the story of a legendary superhero who fights through all the torments of hell to save the woman he loves from the world's most powerful sorcerer. This is Sinbad's greatest adventure. The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. The sadistic magician shrinks the beautiful princess to the size of a tiny doll. Only Sinbad can save her. See the living skeleton, the attack of the two-headed bird, the dance of the deadly cobra woman, the spectacular battle between the one-eyed cyclops and the fire-breathing dragon. See the seventh voyage of Sinbad in the breathtaking motion picture miracle of Dinorama. The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad from Columbia Pictures, rated G, general audiences. Ray Harryhausen effects on the big screen to see his creatures come to life, bigger than life. That's going to be a lot of fun. I think Saturday the 19th is when I'm going to try to go. It's showing in the afternoon because, well, 
a Ray Harryhausen movie in the afternoon just seems perfect. It's at 2 p.m. It's at the Witzel Auditorium at the Northwest Film Center. If you're a Facebook user, pay attention there because I'll be posting a Monster Kid Radio Crash event for that as well. You know, I always talk about the local events happening here, but I know a lot of you guys and gals aren't here in the Pacific Northwest. If there are any events coming up in your local area that you think Monster Kids might be interested in checking out, if you want to even put together your own Monster Kid Radio Crash, drop me a line. I'll talk about it here on the show. I think it'd be a lot of fun to hear from other Monster Kids around the country and around the world and find out what they're up to. Speaking of around the world, you know how lately I've been talking about hitting 100 reviews on the iTunes store? Well, I did that. You guys and gals are awesome. Somebody posted the 100th review. Thank you so much. Thing is, if I had bothered to look at other versions of iTunes, I would have realized I already had 100 reviews. So I have a couple of reviews from Canada and the UK, and that's awesome too. So if you're an international listener, thank you for helping us hit that 100 review goal. And if you're the person who left the 100th review in the US iTunes store, thank you. If you're a user of iTunes, please consider leaving an honest review for the podcast over there. If you're a Facebook user, please consider liking the page and joining the Monster Kid Radio group. This is where the conversations happen with other monster kids between episodes or even while they listen. Finally, one more thing that I want to mention on our website at monsterkidradio.net. If you look over there, you're going to find right near the top, there's a banner with a bunch of different options. One of them is the annual Monster Poll 2018. If you haven't taken the poll yet, please consider doing so. The deadline is May 15th, so this is basically the last week that we're going to mention it here on the show. Here's how this poll works. We're asking you to tell us what your top 20 classic monster movies are from the beginning of cinema to 1967, because 1968 was kind of a watershed paradigm shifting year in the horror genre. So we're going up through 1967 and calling that the cutoff point, which means that I can't put Planet of the Apes on my list, but I want to know what's on your list. We're going to put together the answers from this poll and announce them at Monster Bash in June. Also, as part of the poll, we're asking you to tell us what your top five favorite Vincent Price films are. These do not have to be genre films. These do not have to be pre-1967. Just your top five favorite Vincent Price films. And we're going to announce those as well at Monster Bash, where well, Victoria Price will be as a guest. So we'll be able to uh, present to her what the Monster Kid Radio audience feels are the top five Vincent Price films. I'd be real curious to see what comes up on top here and see how she reacts to it. If you haven't taken the poll, please consider doing so and share it with your friends. If you have any Monster Kid friends or people who love classic monster movies, send them the polls away, would you? Okay, next week on the show, as I said, Mark and I are going to talk a little bit more about another luchador monster movie, Santo and Blue Demon Against the Monsters, but that's not all that's coming. Jason Giaconetti, fellow podcaster, somebody who's going to be on the show later this month when we talk about Samson versus the Vampire Woman, is going to be on the show because he and his father actually recorded their own version of the Classic Five for us. So we're going to play that as well. How cool is that? That somebody else, somebody completely independent of the show, just did their own Classic Five and sent it into MKR. Eventually, the cards will be available for everybody. I think he just took a list of questions from previous episodes, and it's a fun conversation with him and his father. I can't wait to share it with you guys. I cannot wait to talk about Santo and the Blue Demon against the monsters some more with you guys. I can't wait for next week. But before next week happens, this show's got to go out. So let's go ahead and wrap up and remind you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Kraken. It's from the album of the same name from the surf band Los Lombardi, which you can find at loslombardi.bandcamp.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to them as well. Check them out. Check out the 
entire album, nine tracks for seven euros. It's a heck of a deal. Some great music. And let them know that you heard them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Eric M. Cook. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao.